Well, my name is TJ, and I am a member here at Pillar Church, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, definitely grateful and thankful for the opportunity uh, to be able to preach uh, before you today. Um, I must confess, um, by just giving me this opportunity, that I am a rookie preacher. So again, so y'all have to be with me, okay, on this one, all right? Amen's, head nods, let me know if you follow me, all right? All right, that's the, that's the thing that definitely strengthened a, rich, a rookie preacher is just knowing that people are with you, okay? Amen? Amen. Amen. See, there we go. We're already on it. And so I know that many of us are excited. We have this upcoming week of Christmas, and we get the, the text today of Luke 2, 8 through 20. Who's excited about Christmas next week? Amen. Amen. Who is relieved? that Christmas is going to be here next week. Relieved? Okay. It's more excitement than relief, right? Amen. Amen. Well, hopefully from the text today, we will be able to see and have plenty of joy about what Christmas is. But before we get into our text, I want to pray for our time. Uh, and then at the same time, after that, we'll be able to go into our text and be able to open it up and see what the Lord has for us this morning, okay? Dear Father, I thank you that you are a good and just God, that you are righteous, that you are holy, and that this day that we are going to be celebrating is about you. It's about your glory. And so, Father, let us never forget that, to keep that at the front of our minds as we praise you, as we celebrate, as we give gifts, that you, Father, are the ultimate giver in giving your son. And so, Father, let us not lose focus of that. So, Father, be with us, be with me um, as I preach your word. And, Father, we just pray that this message is for your glory and that you be glorified through it. So, Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're here at Pillar. We normally go through a book of the Bible, and we go through it line by line and verse by verse. But for the past three weeks, we have actually been in our Advent series. And with that Advent, I know we've been doing this for the previous weeks as well. What does Advent mean? Coming. Amen. I just want to make sure that we track it along. And so that's what we're, we're talking about, the coming of Christ. And we've seen that for the past three weeks as we've had uh, our brother Eric, Caleb, and then also Martyrge that came and preached God's word before us. So three weeks ago, Eric unpacked the announcement of Jesus' coming to Joseph and Mary. And then he also highlighted God's grace. And then the following week, Caleb unraveled the meaning of Mary's song of praise. And he emphasized, emphasized the word truth. And how God is a God of truth. And then last week, Martin Jay taught on the birth of the Messiah. And he emphasized the word anticipation. I knew he was going to have a little trouble with it. Got to cut this beard. My wife keeps telling me to cut it. I don't want to cut it. I don't want to cut it. <laughs> but then last week, 
Mardashe taught on the birth of the Messiah, and he emphasized the word anticipation. And so in continuation of our Advent series this morning, we're going to see God's grace, his truth, and his anticipation, which leads to peace and joy. As the shepherds pay homage to Jesus. So today's text will be coming from Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And then I'm going to read it, and then we're going to jump into the text, okay? All right. So Luke 2, verse 8, it says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them, he returned to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they were reported they, they reported the message they were told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Amen. I remember one time where I had to take my daughter to the clinic. Now, I don't know if y'all know me or know me this much in debt, but I absolutely hate going to the doctor. It doesn't matter what it is for, I hate it. Even if I have to pick up, you know, a bill or anything, I hate it, right? Even more so when I have to pick up a bill, I hate it, right? <laughs> but one of these times, I had to take my daughter to the clinic and my wife wouldn't be there. I hated it, right? Of course, I hated it. As we got there, I noticed there were some things to the right. It was a playroom. And what this playroom was designed for was to keep the child distracted, not impending what they were going to experience. So they kept them in this playroom distracted, so that way they didn't know, or if they did know what was going to happen next, it prolonged what they were going to experience, right? That delayed shock of the pain and suffering that they were going to feel with whatever they had to deal with. Whatever problems that they had going on in that moment dissipated. They were distracted because their focus was on playing games, reading children's books, eating candy like my daughter, trying to, eating all the snacks. It kept them distracted 
from the impending pain. But what it also did is it distracted her from something that she needed in order to be healthy. It distracted her from something that she needed in order to be healthy. Have you ever been so busy or distracted that you forgot a loved one's birthday? Don't raise your hands. Don't, don't even nod. I don't even know if you want to nod. Have you ever gotten to a place with a person to where you are so comfortable that you no longer even acknowledge that it's their birthday? Instead, you shrug it off and you tell yourself that they will understand. And this is not to shame anyone. These are just some questions I want you to think about this morning. What these areas are designed to do is to distract the child from their problem until their problem gets fixed. Now, if we go back to what Marjorie was teaching on last week, we saw that Caesar Augustus is the ruler over the land. He is the emperor and he's making this decree for everyone to go back to their native land, right? And as this is going on, we have to know the role of Caesar Augustus. What role does he play? It's significant if we look behind the text to understand what's going on and why it's so significant for the savior to come at this time. Caesar Augustus is, is the most well-known person at this time in the world, right? He's even slayed all these people He's the, the king, I guess you would say the king soldier, right? Everyone bows down to this man. He was even in the, in the realm of being called a god. And then he would later get labeled the savior. And why is this significant? Why is it significant that we're, we're like Luke is writing about Caesar right now during this time? It's significant because Jesus swoops in at this very same time to thwart that notion that he is the Savior, that he is the God. And he puts this on this timeline where Luke is writing this, and Jesus is coming, and he's born, and he's making it known to the world. Guess what? No, this is the one true Savior that you should praise, that should get all the glory, that should get your worship. And so one thing that we want to unpack about Caesar Augustus as well is that he was given this label by the people that followed him in the land. They believed him, they trusted him, he was their commander, and they were lifting him up. I don't want us to separate it this morning as we think about Christ being born during this time and at the same time as we celebrate Christ for Christmas. There are things that are going to come into our minds that try to distract us and take the attention away from Jesus. I can call those things little Caesars, right? They become our little gods, our, our little saviors. But still yet we see this as he's coming into here. In verse 8, it says that when he went, in verse 8 it says, In the same region, the shepherds were staying out in the fields, and keeping watch at night over their flock. And as, they, as we talk about the shepherds, we make it known that basically as the shepherds came into, well, as Jesus came into the world, the shepherds were reminded that 
for one, the prophecy that they had once received, the prophecy that they had once been told, the prophecy that they had believed in is coming to pass. It's being revealed. And then they're excited about it. But this is the very thing that we have to understand about the shepherds as well. The shepherds were disenfranchised. They weren't, I guess you say, highly looked upon in society. They were low in status. They, 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 they actually stayed with animals overnight. They tended to them. They smelled like them. They were actually on the same status as the lepers and the tax collectors. Pushed out from society. But it says that it's made known to them and the shepherds, it's revealed to the shepherds that the king, the Messiah, has been born. So in verse 9, it says, Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Not terrified from the same thing of impending doom, terrified because they saw an angel and they didn't know what to do. But this, at, at this time, this was the angel that came before them to give them good news. And then you can see the difference between the words in, in the Greek, evangelion, right? You have that word, the good news. In evangeliano, we have this, this longer word that says bringing good news, right? We see the differences between the two. This is a time to whereas we're talking about the evangelion, the good news, but this time the angels are bringing the good news. And so we see here in this very text here that there are some things that are going to happen, right? And so first, one, first things I want us to be able to see within our text today is prophecy is being fulfilled. The Messiah has been born. The heavens rejoice. And peace is being employed. Joy is being received. And the true God has arrived and distraction is being thwarted. The distraction of this false god, this false savior, is being usurped by the true and one God, the true king, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So we think about this, that this has been a prophecy for him to be born in Bethlehem, and then at the very same time that this man is receiving these accolades, this statue is being labeled this, he comes in here. That's God's timing. That's God's providence. God doesn't make mistakes. God is in control of this whole thing. This is evidence of it. And so Caesar Augustus, during this time, he's making this decree, right? He's still doing all of these things. And still yet the shepherds are, is revealed to the shepherds to whereas they don't necessarily even have to be close to Caesar. They don't have to be in high status. It shows that God, King, Jesus, comes to the lowly. He reveals himself first to the lowly. And I don't know if you feel excited or if you've even thought or if you can look at your neighbor or anybody, but you can say, who is the lowly? He came for us. Regardless of status, occupation, he came for the lowly. That's us. He's revealed himself first to those in low status, to sinners. And he's doing, he's bringing this text to our attention that, hey, pick your eyes up. We are the lowly. We are the low in status. 
And he's revealing himself to us. And the shepherds are, are still yet kind of mirroring us because he's revealing himself to the shepherds who reveal themselves as being the image of us, the lowly, the low in status, the disenfranchised, the afar off, the Gentile. He's revealing himself to be that. So let's look at verse 11. It says, today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. In verse 12, it says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. What I find so interesting about a manger is that this is where the troughs, this is where the animals feed from. And now, if you can fast forward 33 years, you will understand that he came inside and he was wrapped in cloth, but he was placed in a manger. Things that held him together was wood that held him together. But still yet, as we see in his crucifixion, that we see that the same wood is the thing that holds him up. God doesn't make mistakes. So God is in control. He's given us a, a, a mirror to where he's actually born and he's placing this, but then at the same time, in his impending death, in his crucifixion, he's still yet on this very same thing that he came into the world in. And so once we see this, as far as God just tying this thing together, we understand that there are some different things that are going on in play here, right? We see the angels are bringing good news. We see that the angels are heralding his name. We see that the angels are making it known to him, to them, to the shepherds, that Christ indeed has come into the picture. And what we don't see or, or, or hear or even see anything mentioned about is Caesar Augustus this point on. Because the, tenth, the, the, the central focus is not on Caesar Augustus. It's not on that, I guess you say, that minute God. It's on the true, living, and real God. And so what I want us to think about also this morning is that the heavens are rejoicing and peace is being employed. And that there isn't anything that can take away from what Christ is doing in this. We look at this picture, right? He's born in the manger. He's set in the manger. But still yet, this time that he's coming into is not by happenstance. And so one thing that we want to highlight as well is joy. That God would send his only begotten son to be born or killed or sacrificed to redeem us sinners. Regardless of occupation, wealth, looks, or status, we are lowly, in need of a baby born in a manger and held inside. The manger was that made of wood. And so this further emphasizes that the Lord does not make mistakes and that he is in control. So as we think about this Christmas, I was thinking about this for a while. I was thinking about how many years have gone by where I really was not focused on this, but I was extremely distracted. That I celebrated the gifts, 
instead of the giver. That I highlighted and I praised him on Christmas Eve or our New Year's Eve service going into the new year. But never did I acknowledge everything that took place in him sending his son to die for a sinner like myself. And I think oftentimes we misplace our hope. Our hope in the very things that these things that we give or that we get is going to bring us ultimate satisfaction. That this gift that he has given to us is not enough. That it's incomplete. That it has to be something attached to it to find our meaning, to find our hope, or to make us happy. But in this text, God sending his only begotten son that will ultimately die for sinners like us, it shows that he is enough. And that by him doing this was not happenstance, it's by a loving God sending his son for us. So in verse 13, it says, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And when the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go straight to Bethlehem to see what has happened and which the Lord has made known to us. Instead of cowering away, they went to Bethlehem to fulfill this prophecy, to see the king born in a manger to a virgin Mary on our behalf to be ultimately sin, be, to be, I'm sorry, to be ultimately the, the lamb slain for the sins of the world. And this is what God is doing and what he's been doing throughout this, I guess you say, throughout the Old Testament building up to this very specific time, is that he's been setting the stage for this moment. To go back to the illustration about my daughter. It was something that distracted her, but it was also, so something that distracted me from that enduring pain of actually seeing my daughter go through that, the agony of seeing my daughter go through that, the seeing the pain, the seeing the holler, the seeing the scream, that ultimately it distracted me as well, right? I'm watching her play. I'm watching her, you know, eat up all my snacks. I'm watching, I'm doing all this, right? And she's doing all of that. She's busy and it's keeping me distracted. But one thing that it's not doing is not making me happy. It's not giving me joy. So let's flip this on his head. Jesus does not come into the picture as a distraction. But what he comes to do is to turn our mind to something that's a greater hope. Something that God has sent into this world that we can find our 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 significance in, that we can find who we are, that we can actually put all of our hope and trust in. This is who God is sending into this world, that we don't have to be distracted any longer by this false God, by things that take our attention away, that the, these false gifts, right, 
So as, we, as we're going shopping and as we're thinking about all these things that are going along along the holidays and how we have to fulfill all these things and all these duties to get, I want us to think and keep in mind, is it worth taking our attention away from Christ Jesus? Does it fulfill us by giving us the hope? Does it actually complete us? It doesn't. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. And as we see here, as he's placed in this manger, that is the ultimate gift. The holidays are here. Christmas is here. And we're constantly thinking about what to do next. And I get it. I'm on that same, I'm in that same boat. But what, what reminds me and what brings me back to a place of peace is this text. In verse 16, it says that they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. This long open box or trough where horses or cattle they eat from. And in verse 17, it says that after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at, the shep- at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So what is it that God's invitation, what is it for? God's invitation is for some to hear about a gracious, truthful God sending his son into a lost and dying world who are anticipating his coming and received him with peace and joy. And for those who, those individuals to come into a relationship with the God of the universe that chooses not to stand afar, but chooses to come near and continues to come near. And what about those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, heard this message for years and years? What is this message for? This message is to remind us of our first love, to celebrate our first love. That though we get the gifts and though we get to, you know, get our Mariah Carey gone, (laughs) come on now. For some, it's, you know, for me, it's boys to men, let it snow. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to show Lee up here. Me, 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 me. I don't want to go there, right? I don't want to tune it up. But this is to show that God is still in control. He's sovereign. And that the hope that he sent into the world is in Christ Jesus. And Jesus first revealed to the lowly, the reviled, the looked down upon, and often viewed as having low status. He revealed himself to them. 
So Jesus comes first to them because they represent us. But what do you say? You say, what about, what about to others? What about, what about to those high in status? What about those with a high occupation? What about those with wealth? We're all lowly. We're all in need of a savior. And the distractions that we have and that we have going on, we place our hope in Christ. That the distraction that we, we once had, we, put, we, we push that away and we put our faith in Christ. We put our hope in Christ. And for us that have already done it, our goal is to lead the way and say that this Christmas is about glorifying Christ. Caesar Augustus, a God, a man that's just there as a placeholder for distractions. He's this image of what it is to have sovereignty over a land. He's this image of what we put our faith in as a false God. That ultimately this Christmas, these things will make us happy and satisfied. But what Jesus does, just like God has done throughout the ages, he's never a second late. To put him in this particular position at this time, for him to be glorified. In verse 19, it says, Mary, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them day and night. These truths, this hope of the one Savior who was born, to hear about the angels that have came and revealed themselves to confirm that this Messiah is her Lord that the, the shepherds came and paid homage, that the, the shepherds came, that they were, it was revealed to them the lowly in heart, the lowly in status, the lowly, right? That they came first to pay homage. And as we ask ourselves this morning, is this true of us? Is Christmas about what we can get, or is it about celebrating who has already been given for us, the giver? There's times where, even thinking about this sermon, is God in control, right? The struggle of contemplating, is God in control? Is he truly ruler over all things? Is he, with everything that's going on, we prayed about it this morning, about COVID, about, about people being affected by that, about people losing their jobs. Is he in control? 
did God send his son? And even if all these things don't come to pass as, as far as people being healthy, is he still enough? Did he still send his son? Do we have our faith in that he still sent his son to celebrate him? And can we believe in that truth? The truth of the matter is this. As long as we are here, there's an option that we have to wholeheartedly place our faith in Christ. And then after that, to live on mission, to glorify him, to celebrate him, to continue to lift him up. In closing, as I think about my daughter and I think about her, her getting older and I think about Christmas, um, I think about a lot of different things that me growing up, I didn't experience or see as, I guess you'll say, something that I felt like I was deprived of because I didn't get all the best gifts. I didn't get all the new things. And even though I didn't grow up in a, in a household that were believers, understanding and looking back on it now, I see that it was God at work still in play with this. He was still working on behalf of me to draw me to himself. And that may be true of someone here, that you hear the Christmas story, you see it, you don't fully understand it, but then at the same time you're wondering, who is this God or why is this God sending his only son into this world to die for us? It's because of his love for us, and that we can place our hope in him. And that this is not anything to, to say that I have this option and I can make this option anytime. Now, if God is in control, if he's sending him, if he's being prophetic about all these things that are happening in the Bible, about the very people that look like you or me, that are human beings, what makes you think that this is happenstance or by chance that we are here today to hear this message, to think about Christ, to celebrate Christ, for Christ to be exalted and for him to be celebrated? Again, if you've ever forgot someone's birthday or if you've, for, if you've ever kind of shrugged it off like it was no big deal, this is a huge deal. This is an eternal deal. And God wants to know, and he wants to draw near to us. So as we think about Christmas, we don't want to take Christ out of Christmas, right? We want to keep him in his rightful place. We want him to be exalted. We want him to be lifted up. 
We don't want these other things, these fake gods, these Caesar Augustus to take away from what God is doing. And that you see throughout this text that they were brought peace from the angels that's, that they were revealed to them. But then at the same time, they had joy to go see him. And if this is true of you, we have that joy in Christ together. And if this is not true of you, I pray that we will one day, or even now, have that common bond that we can go see our King, our Lord, together. So in closing, God, the Savior, was sent into this world on behalf of the lowly by God the Father to redeem a lost and dying world that this Christmas is about Christ. That every Christmas is about Christ and that we don't lose our focus on that. Christ, the God, the Son, the King, the Lord. Forever and ever. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are Lord and that you are Christ. And that, Father, things happen that that is out of our control. Things happen that we can't, we can't explain, but it happens. But Father, you are a redeemer. You are the lover of our soul. And that Father, this is not, this is for your glory. And so, Father, I just pray that through this today that someone heard you, not myself. And that, again, things, when they happen, we have to, we have to, we have to roll with it. And so, Father, I thank you for just this time. I thank you for your word that by just even reading the text, people are blessed because your word is true, it is pure, and it is ultimate. So Father, be glorified and let this message resonate in the heart of your people. And for those who don't know you, let it be a sweet balm, let it be an ignition for them to draw closer to you, to want to know who that is that has sent his son, and for them to know you. So Father, I thank you, and Father, we love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.